Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Just storming right through our Book of Psalms lesson studies this mm-hmm. time. On We're on Lesson 6 this week, and the title is, I Will Arise, right? It's uh, speaking about the Lord in his role as uh, not just the uh, overseer of all things, but the, the, defender. the, the defender, and he's going to step in and, and, and intercede for his people. Our, okay. Yeah, our, our memory verse comes from Psalm 12, verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. And again, this week, mm-hmm. our, we're going to see how the psalmist regarded God as the righteous judge of all the earth. All right. Shall Let's, I pray? And then please you, do. Uh, you put the lesson together. You can give us our talking points this week. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you for the spirit of truth to give us understanding in these things. We want to pray a special blessing upon this recording of Talking Points, Lord, upon uh, the, the viewers, uh, especially those who are going to be teaching this lesson, that you will give them special wisdom, that it may be a blessing to our churches across this country, across the world, as we seek to hasten the coming of Jesus and prepare people for that day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The lesson opened on Sabbath afternoon with this particular statement. It says, Our age is not the only age in which evil, injustice, and oppression rage. And obviously, we wouldn't have to look far in any right. news feed to see all kinds of horrific injustices and atrocities. Right. These are all the fruit of sin. Oh, I guess it's probably been around <laughs> it, as long as sin Exactly. Been Thousands of years of this, right? The psalmists lived in such a time as well. And so, whatever else they are, the psalms are also God's protests against the violence and oppression in the world, in our world, and that of the psalmists as well. Okay. So, we've heard that the psalms are prayers. We've heard that they are songs. And now they are protests. So there's a lot going on in the Psalms here, but this week we're focusing on that regard of God for those who are in danger or in difficulty uh, and God, which leads us to our talking point number one, God defends his people. And that's going to be from Sabbath and Sunday. This okay. week we're essentially going to go in chronological order of the lesson. But that idea of God defending his people more than just knowing his people and caring mm-hmm. about them, he's going to do something about it. Okay. Yes. Uh, talk point number two, God is the judge of all the earth. That's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, so That's kind of unique in, in a... In a talking point, you actually have an underline there. I do have an underline. Kind of, uh, all the earth. Not well, just and I wanted to emphasize that, and that's what the underline is for, to emphasize that God is not just against those people, and he's looking at the whole board, right? And yeah. he's judge of all the earth. And we'll talk, okay. a lot, talk take a look at that in a minute. Finally, talking point number three, the hour of his judgment has come, which is, of course is not a quote from the Psalms, but it's from the book of right. Revelation. But Thursday's lesson talks about Christ in his role as judge in the heavenly sanctuary, and we cannot go knowing the present truth and not talk about Christ's current role as judge. All right, so let's get started with this talking point number one, God defends his people. Right, now two weeks ago, the opening talking point was two words, God knows. And we Mm -hmm. talked about how God knows, and anything you qualify after that almost limits it. God knows everything. Well, everywhere and everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, and in that what we call omniscience of God, the all-knowing of God, he certainly is aware of the oppression and injustices in this fallen world. He's yes. intimately aware of them, right? And what I've done in this particular talking point, and I think that you've kind of done the same thing, and maybe we should take just take a second to talk yeah. about this, how... There, there are 150 psalms. Thank you. And so if you're trying to say, here's one point in a psalm to back it up, 
it's hard to find a yeah. psalm that says it just right, or there's one psalm that encapsulates all of them. There are multiple psalms you could refer to on almost any given truth about right. And Psalm 119 has 176 <laughs> verses, so you know. I was thinking about when you go find a psalm, you turn right? one page sometimes and you miss eight psalms. <laughs> right. But sometimes you can go eight pages and all still That's in the exactly same psalm. Right. Anyway, all that aside, for example of this idea that God knows of the suffering of his people, uh, we think of Psalm 40, verse 17, where the psalmist writes, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my helper and my deliverer. Do not belay, O oh my God. Uh, you can see that in Psalm 1, verse 6, Psalm 9, verse 18, 18, verse 6, 138, per, mm-hmm. uh, verse 6, and probably scores of other ones, right. right? So if, this is just a note for teachers out there, if you're trying to make a single point, it's okay to not go through every single psalm <laughs> that makes a point. Now, it's good to buttress it and say, here's a right. prime example, and here's some others you can look up. But if you spend, there's just so many psalms. You could just spend your whole lesson just, you read Don't that one. Don't feel guilty because you it's like, oh, but I didn't read all the Psalms. Even in the lesson, I noticed that this lesson will refer to... Tons like, of them. I, I We've talked about my practice. I like to read the, the, you know, this lesson is based like, read for this week's study. And I'm yeah. looking at you know, Psalm 18. But in within the study, there's like 40 more Psalms. <laughs> right. And so you couldn't possibly cover them all in a class yeah. period. You've got to pick and choose. Thank you for bringing that up. We hadn't discussed that. But I had noticed that, especially this week, that almost at the end of every sentence, there's a, see this Psalm, or see even outside mm-hmm. the Psalms, Deuteronomy, Exodus, right. Isaiah, something. And so you're not going to be able to do it exhaustively, is the point. But I wanted to go beyond that point that not only did God know about the oppression and injustices, through the Psalms, God repeatedly assures his people that he will intervene on their behalf, that God is not just a sympathizing, all-knowing God. He's an active deliverer of his people. Psalm 41, for example, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. And again, this refrain is seen in Psalm 18, Psalm 7, and probably many others. Yes, and I just, to, to your point that you just made, ironically, on Sabbath afternoon's lesson, it says, read for this week's study. And then in the just in the few paragraphs on that page, there are one, two, three, four, five, six passages, none of which are in the read for this week's study. <laughs> yeah. So, so you yeah. read all those, then you read the thing, and it's... Re- You're going to have to choose what which you want to highlight. can be a difficulty for some people, yeah. but others, like, you can just pull almost any of those statements, and they're going to help out your cause, so that's no problem. But it also gives a bit of a leeway to the pa- to the, the pa- pastors or the, the teachers of the Sabbath yes. class to, all right, w- how would I present the ideas of these psalms in my class, mm-hmm. right? So the lesson is a guide to the scripture, but not dictating every detail. So one example that the lesson brought up, I thought was really helpful, is that though God often delivers his people through human agents like King David and his wars uh, in the times of the psalm, the honor for such deliverance is given to the Lord. So David is a songwriter, he's a mm-hmm. harpist, he's a shepherd, he's all kinds of things. He's, of course, the king, and he's a military man, yes. right? But for all the uh, army and military activity that David does, His never broad does broad skill set. Right, but never does David say, I have won this great battle for my people. Right. But no, he always gives credit to the Lord. And, you know, it, it made me think of Daniel standing before Nebuchadnezzar. And Debbie, are you able to answer? 
Well, no. Right. But I do have the answer, not because I'm able to, but God, he, he always gives credit to God, even though it's his mouth, his word that's going to say it, David's arm and his right. weaponry, it's still the strength Con- of the Lord. Contrasting with Nebuchadnezzar, is this not great, Babylon that I have built? See, <laughs> that's so true. Good. That's so true. So God's people recognize that it's his strength that delivers them out that's of trouble, right. and David is no exception to that. So that was I good. mean, we could go on about this with the whole, let, we talk about good works, and we had this in our prayer meeting. We had this oh, yes. discussion last night, people like, oh, I was talking about the good. In fact, one of the passages in here you're going to get to, David says, defend me according to my own righteousness, Lord. Like, oh, that legalist. But the foundation (laughs) is foundationally, they all understand that any and every good thing really comes from God. Right. Scripture says that exact thought. And so you have to, building on that foundation, it gives you the context for some of those other things. Absolutely. And, and, And to be clear, again, just this first talking point is a very simple one in that God not only knows everything and he cares about everything, but he pledges himself to intervene and do yes. something about it. And we might be the agents of that blessing or he might do it some other way, but we can trust that God will deliver his people. Amen. All right. But let's move on. Talking point number two, mm-hmm. God is the judge of all the earth. Now, again, the title for this week is I Will Arise, right? And that's taken from Psalm 12, verse 5, the memory verse for the oppression of the poor. Now I will arise. Now, we see this language in other Psalms. For example, Psalm 82, verse 8. Are you close enough to that? You could read that one. I mean, the Psalms are all tight together. You're close. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Right, so God is not just... It doesn't say arise and judge the wicked or arise and save the person. He's looking at the whole board, right? Judge right. the whole earth. You shall inherit all nations. So all of this is going to be yours, Lord. So you are sitting in judgment of everything that goes on. You see that in 96 verse 13 as well. Now, in that overseeing of the whole world, does God have, I hate to say, I don't want to, obviously he doesn't have favorites. He shows no partiality. But he does have deep sympathy for those who are suffering, those mm-hmm. who are in, in affliction. Um, why don't you read Monday, paragraph one. That, that first paragraph of Monday's lesson brought that out. Uh, Monday, paragraph one says, God exhibits special care and concern for justice regarding the various vulnerable groups of people, including the poor, needy, oppressed, fatherless, widows, widowers, and strangers. The Psalms, like the law and the prophets, are clear on that point. Right, and so it's not just David thinks this, but this has been a, a theme throughout the, the Bible, uh, back from the original law of God, you know, in the mm-hmm. very beginning, Exodus and Isaiah. The idea being that God has, it's hard to say a special care for, because he cares, mm-hmm. he loves all of them equally, but he does recognize that some people have been dealt a bad hand, they've gotten poor circumstances, they've been a, a victims of something, mm-hmm. and he has a, a special zeal for their protection, for their deliverance, and praise the Lord for that. Now, what I want to draw a caution note, though, is when we start talking about those who are suffering injustice or oppression or persecution or the poor and the needy, we often view those in societal or even political uh, frameworks Mm -hmm. where we say, oh, that's that class of people or those over there or this in the socioeconomic group there. The Lord likes those more than... I don't think that that's at least the primary application of this understanding. So, 
we should be careful. Like, for instance, David will repeatedly in the Psalms appeal for God to deal with the wicked or mm-hmm. the ungodly, the unrighteous. We mm-hmm. talked about in Psalm 73, like, how long will they do that? And it's very easy for us to read the Psalms and like, I identify with David. Those are bad people over there, right? And we start to think of myself as the poor and needy or myself as the, the victim and everybody who's against me when the reality is that maybe I'm to maybe God's justice is coming after me too. Maybe I'm just as much culprit as I am victim in this, right? So we should, I put the note in this, like we should be careful to not always assume the wicked are other people. That's right. You got I, Romans I, 2 there? No, actually Romans 5 came okay, to my mind please. where it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then paralleling that in verse 10, it says, for if when we were enemies... Mm. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. So mm. here, he's not only, we're, we're enemies, fight, we're, we're sinners, we're enemies fighting against God. So mm. it, the scripture kind of goes, circumvents this, this, this idea. This is not to take away the, the, the reality that there are some people that are oppressed in this sure. world. But at the core of all of it, the Bible says we all murdered the son of God. Yes. And it puts a perspective on that. And so there's a, yeah. Uh, the, the, the root of all of this is is sin. The Absolutely, and I was and I was thinking of Romans chapter two, and now I'm seeing in chapter three. For example, what then are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. To your point, as it is written, yes. there is none righteous, no, not one. So when we say the Lord is going to judge the earth and take vengeance on the wicked, let's not do that too hastily. We're like he's going to get them. Because right. I'm under that same condemnation, too. I'm one of them. I'm one of them, right. right. So the lesson brought this out on... Well, and I always, I don't know if I brought it up here. I probably have because I've brought it up many places. It's attributed to to John Wesley, who, uh, one of the founders of the Methodist Church, was, was a, with a minister friend of his, and they saw a drunk face down in the in the street gutter, and the, the minister friend of Wesley's just looks at him and, oh, what a wretch of a man. And Wesley's response is reportedly... Um, but for the They're, grace of yeah. God, I would be that man. Yeah. The, other, the only difference he sees, like, yeah, you're right, that guy. Is t- the only difference he sees between that man and him and his standing is what God has done. Absolutely. All credit and glory due to God. So he, you know, in the same way as we view rich, poor, whatever else, if there's anything in me that is legitimately better, it's not from me. Amen. Well, in, in the lesson in paragraph five of Tuesday, it says, God will judge the entire world. God's people, too, shall give an account to God. Mm. And throughout the Psalms, you see David have a keen awareness of this, that he doesn't just say, Lord, judge my enemies, though he wants to see vengeance right. on it. He talks about, Lord, judge me, too. For example, are Psalm you looking up seven? Yes, please. And if I'll look up 139, if you can look at seven verses eight through ten. Yeah, Psalm 7, verse 8 says, The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. So notice that he expects that the judgment of God is going to include himself. He's like, Lord, search me, search them. But he understands it's for everybody. For example, Psalm 139, David pleads again, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So Mm -hmm. when we appeal for the judgment or justice of God, 
we cannot just think of, Lord, please smite my enemies, if you will. But Lord, recognize that I too am an enemy, or at least have been, and I mm-hmm. want to be clean before you. And if there's anything left in me, help me get that out of the way right. now. So when David's saying, Lord, judge me according to my righteousness, he's not vaunting his own. He's like, I'm so much better than them. What he's recognizing is, despite my sinfulness, Lord, I've chosen to lean upon you, to yes. depend upon you. And based on that decision, mm-hmm. that's his his righteousness is in his choice to follow God. Right. So my clinging so to you is... This is a legalistic kind absolutely. of, oh, judge me because I'm so good here. And we made that point earlier. Well, and the, the same idea too, when I talk about the wicked can sometimes be us, so be watch out, you know? Yes. The same with the poor and the needy. It doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, financial destitution, right? Right. Uh, the Psalms use that phrase poor and needy nine different times, and it's, it's used in other scriptures repeatedly as well. Mm-hmm. And the lesson brought out an important point, Monday, paragraph three, if you would. Yes, it says, the expression poor and needy is not limited to material poverty, but also signifies vulnerability and helplessness. The expression appeals to God's compassion, and it conveys the idea that the sufferer is alone, and has no other help but God. The depiction poor and needy also pertains to one's sincerity, truthfulness, and love for God in confessing one's total dependence on God and renouncing any trace of self-reliance and self-assertion. Mm-hmm. So we would, in our context, when we, if you had a news report about the poor and needy, you would automatically think of people who are homeless or, or penniless right. or down on their luck or something like that. But David, for instance... And four different places in the Psalms refers to himself as poor and needy, and he's King David, right? right. He's the, he sits in this wonderful palace, but it's not a material poverty that he's referring to. He's talking about something spiritual, right? This And it's this broader, deeper spiritual poverty is what the Lord regards as most essential. We see that, of course, in Matthew chapter 5. The very first thing Jesus says on his great Sermon on the Mount is, Blessed are those who are poor, how? In spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about those who mourn, the meek, uh, hunger and thirst, but not for actual food, but for righteousness, they shall be filled. Now, that's not to say that God has no compassion on the actual poor and hungry in this temporal sense, but his concern is of that broader, deeper poverty of soul anguish, the soul hunger for trueness, true righteousness, then that's what the Lord will fill. Well, in a Seventh-day Adventist, we can't look over Revelation 3 with the Laodicean church because you say, verse 17, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing Mm -hmm. and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, (laughs) you're poor and you have a need. You You don't think you need, and this is your problem, but you're poor and needy. Right, and the people who recognize that are the blessed. And this is not talking about people in poverty, spiritual poverty. Exactly. So David, in fact... You know, when God's name is besmirched, he's referred to as poor and needy. King David can be poor and needy. You can be rich and increasing good and still be poor and needy. Mm-hmm. That there's a deeper, broader significance here than just temporal needs. Yes. All right. And I want to highlight this. The whole lesson rightly builds to this idea of God as the judge and the executor of justice, right? right? Now, the vengeance is mine and he will take up the cause of the afflicted. All of which, of course, is absolutely true. What I did note, however... Thursday's lesson is the Lord's judgment and the sanctuary. Right. As Seventh-day Adventists, how can we talk about the judgment of God, especially the the leveling of the playing field, you know, the, the, the wiping out of the wicked and the rest- restoration of the righteous and 
the great hope that we all have as Christians without acknowledging that that work that so long awaited and anticipated in the Psalms mm-hmm. and in the prophets and by the apostles, we are now living in the time when the Lord has begun that final work. Yes. Now, he hasn't executed his judgment yet, but he's still, he's certainly sitting and reviewing the books in preparation for that day, even now. So, you know, I'm just thinking about this, and I and this is just a little bit of conjecture on my part. Um, not total conjecture as a... As a little a, bit of conjecture, yeah. Well, not total conjecture as a, as a pastor of many years, and you can resonate with this a little bit, that... I'm afraid that a lot of Seventh-day Adventist members never really study much about this judgment, what we call the investigative judgment or the pre-Advent judgment, and their mindset is this is just how God keeps people out of heaven. Mm. They don't understand it as this is how God levels the playing field. This is how God vindicates the righteous. This is how God uh, brings to to fruition the the punishment of the wicked, and we've looked at that, talked about in previous lessons. Like, this is how... This is where the the rewards are determined and all of that. This is the culmination of all the blessings of God upon those who have chosen to follow him. Mm-hmm. Judgment is made in favor of the saints. But Right. Well And so I think for that reason some people just shy away from studying it, like, yeah, it doesn't sound very interesting to me. It's just God keeping people out of heaven. You know, I don't know. Right. That may be part of it. Well, I'm thinking that for instance, this week's lesson, the title is taken from the Psalms, I will arise, looking yes. forward to God standing up in defense of his people, right? Right. Well, how do we not, as Seventh-day Adventists, compare that uh, poetic language in the Psalms to the prophetic language of Daniel chapter 12, verse 1? At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was from ever, uh, there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book. Mm-hmm. And of course, it goes on to talk about it. But that's the time when Christ f- completes his most holy place right. work and stands up to execute justice. Well, the standing that Christ is doing in this prophetic context is the next thing on the prophetic horizon. Right. Right. So right now, he's sitting in review in preparation to stand and execute that judgment. Mm-hmm. So all of the things that David was crying out in his heart for, for God to do, to regard the case of the poor and needy and to, to, affl- to afflict the, w- the wicked from their ways, Christ is now sitting in judgment and preparing to stand. So, for Of course, instance, using that, no, not, not literally stuck in a chair. No, 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 but he's, but he's in, in the role of, the rising he's, he's, he's sitting in the role of judge yeah. as he's preparing to come back as king of kings and lord of lords. Right, and in defense of the lesson, it does tie judgment to the sanctuary. Absolutely. It just doesn't go into the judgment hour in 1844 right. and the first angel's message in the context of the last, those But those it does refer to that day. For instance, on Sabbath afternoon, mm-hmm. in, the, in the second paragraph, it says, and though God's proper time for his in- intervention does not always consult cons- coincide with human expectations, the day of God's judgment is coming. Praise the Lord for that. And it refers to the next sentence, until that day comes. On Monday, at the bottom of Monday, it says how Jesus Christ fulfills the Psalms' promises as the divine judge who will judge future chins, every mistreatment of the deprived, as well as neglect of duty toward them. Great. Tuesday, bottom of Tuesday, God will judge the entire world. Okay, Mm -hmm. good. Then we get into Thursday's lesson. The sanctuary fostered the jubilant expectation of the Lord's coming as the judge, especially during the Day of Atonement. 
Praise the Lord. Well, that's the end of the week study. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, you're, you're leading us to, there's a coming day, there's right. a coming day, there's a coming day. And then he were to go into the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And let's bow our heads for prayer. Right. And that's the end of the lesson. Well, I, I, I can help but get a little, I don't want to say riled up, but I'm mm-hmm. anxious. Like, bring us to it, right? Because yeah. it's only in, Round in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, where the announcement is made that the hour of his judgment has come. That's so right. worship him who made the heavens. So this is where, folks, you get the bonus footage, right? You get those, <laughs> you know, like, here's the lesson, but on talking points, let's let's conclude that that time of, is yes. the time coming? And there are some Psalms that speak to that. Yes. And to be clear, the lesson is very aware of this. Read verse, uh, verse uh, I've got it in the notes there, paragraphs three and four from Thursday's lesson. Yeah, it says, the sanctuary is the place of forgiveness of sin and restoration of righteousness as indicated by the mercy seat of God's throne and the sacrifices of righteousness. Yet the God who forgives takes vengeance upon the wicked deeds of unrepentant people. The practical implications of the sanctuary being the place of divine judgment are seen in the constant awareness of God's holiness and demands for righteous living according to God's covenantal requirements. Right. So it's clear that the sanctuary is the location of God's work of judgment Mm -hmm. and that from that metaphorical or literal, however you want to say it, seat, that he is looking at what would be the right, you know, the right versus wrong, right? How, how he's going to separate the sheep mm-hmm. from the goats and to take justice on this world. And that we, the only thing, I, I guess what I'm appealing to add to it is not do we have to just longingly look towards a day when God will do that. According to Bible prophecy, we are living in the hour when he is doing that. That he's currently seated as judge in that role in the heavenly sanctuary. Were you looking up a psalm there, 102, I believe? Yeah, and for for example, in Psalm 102, this is one we looked at last week where, you know, David is is talking about, I think this is David, uh, who's who's talking about the, you know, going through the affliction and looking for God's judgments and and Mm -hmm. his his justice and, and vindication and what have you. And he says, uh, but you, O Lord, verse 12, Psalm 102, verse 12, but you, O Lord, shall endure forever and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise, in mm-hmm. the context of this lesson, and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the time, the set time has come. Mm. And that's one allusion to, as, you know, we could look at others that would, that, that judgment hour. Yeah. We find well, I'm thinking of Romans 2.16, where he refers to the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according right. to my gospel. So the psalmist knew there was a set day. Paul refer- repeatedly referred to this, the day that he has That's set, right. uh, the appointed time. And mm-hmm. the only thing I'm really trying to draw out here, and maybe I'm being too emphatic about it, is that the sentiment of the of the lesson and the psalms are absolutely true. God is a defender of his people. And my point is, he is sitting even now in preparation for that final execution of judgment. Well, I mean, I think of the, the verse that says, hope deferred makes the heart sad. Mm. You know, in other words, <laughs> there's a judgment. No, 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 it's coming. It's coming. It's going to be, like, mm. that's all great. <laughs> and and I think we diminish that, like, uh, you know, our sanctuary message. Uh, I don't know if that's so hopeful. It's full of hope because what it says is the hour of his judgment has come. No longer there's a day that's coming. The hope deferred is no longer deferred. Right. Like the time has come. It's in the process. The coming of Christ is at hand. Mm-hmm. It's telling us that this isn't going to continue on and on and on and on and on, that we're coming very near the time where God is going to make all things new. Yes. So it puts it in a context of just yes. not this endless... Which is the mission statement of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Not yes. only give the gospel, but in the context of the three angels' message, why we call this, quote, present truth. 
because it's happening now. It's not just a future hope, it's a current reality. Which will bring us to our conclusion here, and I'd like you to read for us Thursday, paragraph 5. I thought it was a good summary statement. Yes, it says, The Lord's judgment from Zion results in the well-being of the righteous and the defeat of the wicked. Uh, From Psalm 132. The sanctuary fostered the jubilant expectations of the Lord's coming as the judge, especially during the Day of Atonement. Likewise, the Psalms strengthen the certainty of the impending arrival of the divine judge, namely Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. So, I would close by saying the same justice that David longed for is found in the judge Jesus Christ, who, from his perspective, would someday come into that role. Mm. And we have the privilege and honor and responsibility to tell the world that that hour of his judgment as has come, that even now Christ is seated as our judge and is beginning that process, has already begun mm. the process of sorting out, and someday he's going to come again. I believe it's soon Hallelujah. and very soon. Yes. Can you give us a word of closing prayer today? Yes, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for, once again, for the testimony of your word and the guidance of your spirit. We thank you for these precious promises, not only, Lord, of your faithfulness and your mercy and your justice in behalf of your people, those who are needy and oppressed, but, Lord, uh, for the certainty that we find, especially in the three angels' messages, that the hour of your judgment has come and that the time is at hand for the return of Jesus, the setting of all things right, and very soon, the making of all things new. We thank you for Mm. Your guidance, we pray for a special special blessing upon the classes who study this lesson, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.